we are on this journey together where we're going, uh, we're preaching one sermon from each book of the Bible. And we began in the book of Genesis. It all begins with God. And we have moved through Exodus where we realize that God delivers. And last week, we, uh, in our time together, we realized that for us to be the people of God, to maintain that relationship with God, you have to kill the bull. There's a way of maintaining it, and that's that relationship, because God is holy. And to maintain that, it takes the blood. And so last week, we even celebrated that together, that the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, that the blood that was shed on the cross pays the debt and makes, and because God counts faith in Jesus as righteousness, makes us right to have a relationship with him. So today we're in numbers, numbers. And so I would encourage you, uh, to, if you have a Bible, you can use the one provided there in front of you. We're going to be in Numbers 13 and 14. And we're going to be talking today about Joshua and Caleb uh, among the 12 spies encouraged Israel to take possession of the land. The children of Israel have come out of the Exodus. They have received the word of God, the, the commands of God, the Torah, and, and, and the law from God, and he goes with them over to the edge. And he has promised them the promised land, and they are right there at the brink. We'll pick up the story there. Now, I could have spoken about Moses who struck a rock and water spouted forth in Numbers 20. Moses lifted up a bronze serpent on a pole so that the believing Israelites might be healed uh, of their snake bites, that's Numbers 21. And Balaam was rebuked by his donkey. That would have been an interesting story to talk about today that comes from Numbers 22. But the events of the book that begin in Numbers, uh, the second year of the Israelites departing from Egypt as they camped at Mount Sinai. And the narrative ends 38 years later over on this other side when uh, in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. And Numbers records, the whole book, records the people's long wandering in the desert and their time at the, o the oasis of Kadesh Barnea and their eventual arrival on the banks of the Jordan River. So I want to pick up the story where they are brought over in chapter 13. They're brought to the edge of the promised land. And you might think, what in the world does this have to do with us? I mean, how am I going to get anything out of this other than maybe learning a little bit about the Bible? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.6 says this, These things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do you see any resemblance in what we've even seen so far between the grumbling, rebellious Israelites and us? So many times 
uh, we see the Bible and we look at it and we go, man, pull your act together. How could you miss it like that? And the truth is we live in that kind of a generation. There's not that much difference. And they serve as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things. So with humility and with prayer, I'm praying that we would soften our hearts, that God would soften our hearts towards the things of God and that he would show us. So they receive instructions for 40 days. The Hebrew people watched and waited on the edge of the promised land, looking and waiting for the spies to return. They sent out 12 spies to go look around for 40 days to see, and it was so that they would explore the land to see. I mean, go into the hill country in verse 13, 17 through 20. Um, and it says, the people, look at the people who live there and whether they are few or many and whether the land they live in is good or bad and whether the towns they live in are unwalled or fortified. And, and there's all these instructions. And we pick up in verse 25 in Numbers 13. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land which you sent us to, it flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. So now it's not obviously like, this isn't like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There's not actually milk and honey flowing, okay? What that means is we went in and it's this lush place where there's all this flowering fruit bearing stuff. And there is this ecosystem that just produces all kind of where our animals can, can graze and there, there can be this abundance. And that's what they're saying there. And then there was an important word, and I want you to notice this word. And in my translation, it says the next word after they say, oh man, it's everything we thought it was. It's going to be incredible. It flows with milk and honey. This place is great. However, that word however is also in many translations for us in English is but. It flows with milk and honey, but. Or also maybe in your translation it says, it flows with milk and honey. It's incredible, yet. However, yet, or but. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Now, to be fair to the spies, the report is a lot to take in. On the one hand, the report is very promising. Exactly as God said, it flows with milk and honey. 
But on the other hand, the scouts are saying that they cannot go against the people who are already living there because they are huge. They are tall, the descendants of Anak and the Amalekites. These are giants. We see these folks later, even in the narrative, as David experiences them. Verse 30, but Caleb, oh yeah, but Caleb, Caleb, he quieted the people. He's one of the 12 spies. He's one of the 12 spies. And Caleb quiets the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, so the other spies, they say, we are not able to go up against these people for they are strong. They are much stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied on saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw are of great height. And there we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come uh, from, Nephilim, from the Nephilim. And we, seen, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so that's what we seem to them. Fear is paralyzing. It magnifies too. Fear breeds fear. And my football coach, Coach Ward, used to have this sign up in the locker room. Success breeds success. Well, the same is true. Fear breeds fear. And it not only does it, it also paralyzes you. And then it magnifies the problem. When the Hebrew people heard that the spies report, the Bible says that all the people raised aloud and the people wept that night. And they said this, would that we died in the land of Egypt or that we died in the wilderness? We're in chapter 14 now, verses one through four. And he says, why is it that they brought us out here to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be, I know that you're probably fascinated, some of you in the front row that I slipped booty into the thing, but I, what I did, yeah. And would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. What? We just saw all the, what we just saw? And we're talking about going back to Egypt? Everyone is so gripped with fear. Everyone but Caleb and Joshua. Joshua and Caleb, they end up right there in verses 7 through 9. They end up ripping their clothes. They literally, they take their clothes and rip it. And what's that a sign of? That's a sign of grief and death that you're so full of like remorse, like what in the world? They tear their clothes and they say, the land that we went through, the spies are exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only, listen, this is verses seven through nine. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are no more than bread for us. 
Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so this happens where they tear their clothes and they're so remorseful. And then, of course, because of this, the Lord, do you realize that they say to the other spies and to the people that are wailing and crying, they say to them, like, what are you afraid of or anything like that? You know what they said? Do not despise God. Don't despise God who brought you this far. Isn't that interesting that they equate that? They they don't say, hey, don't be afraid. They say, don't despise God who brought you out. And so Moses goes before God and he says, oh, Lord. And it's interesting. If you look at verses verses, uh, in, in chapter 14, verses 13 all the way through 19. If you look at those verses you will see literally Moses goes up and he says, Lord, it would be ashamed. It would not be good for your name if the Egyptians here that we came out here and we were squashed. So don't right now pass judgment on us, please. For your name's sake, Lord, don't do that. I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting narrative there. Even to the point where he goes back and he uses that famous passage that we talked about in Exodus in verse 18, where, where Moses, he says, now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. He throws back, Moses throws back to God, prays back to God, God's word. By the way, that's a, that's a, that's a great thing to do when you're praying. Pray the word of God back to God. And it is effective. And then the Lord speaks, okay? I hope I haven't lost you. I hope I haven't lost you because pay attention, all right? So the Lord speaks finally. And he says, I have pardoned according to your word, Moses. I've heard you. I will pardon. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. None of them. Nobody is going to see the land who is alive now. You are going to wonder now. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and he has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. What really keeps us from everything and enjoying God's peace and his presence? Right here. What keeps us from having, as the people of God, God's peace and his presence in our mind? And what keeps us from having God's peace and his presence in our heart, 
What is it? Well, there are some giants. And the three giants, the first one is, the first giant is unbelief. The first Anak giant we face is the giant of unbelief. When you think about it, God simply said, go and explore the land. Look around. See everything. Bring back some fruit. God really knew that the land was good. And he said, send out the spies out to the Lord of Canaan, said God, which I am giving to the Israelites. The first giant that we have to overcome is unbelief, not believing. It's a lack of faith. What if I told you that the giants are a necessary and important part of developing our faith and our trust in God? What if I said that's necessary for you to overcome the giants in your life, for you to have the peace and the presence of God in your life? A faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And these giants, these obstacles and challenges we face in life help grow us up in the Lord. That's why the Apostle James says in James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind because you know that the testing of your faith develops the perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The truth is, is that our faith never grows in comfortable surroundings. Our faith never grows when life is easy. When there are no giants around, our faith does not grow. And so we have got to come against unbelief. Now I understand there is such a thing as doubts and questions in our, in our lives. I know that. I, I, I would be silly to say that you shouldn't have any doubts or any questions. Of course we do. We are human beings made in the image of God. We have a mind. We can think. As you see the world, do you see it through the eyes of belief or unbelief? And so for us, we've got to conquer that. And so many times, even in this day and age, one of the great, listen to me, the church needs to wake up. We got to wake up. Because so many people, I even heard a business leader not too long ago say the church is losing. And I, I want you to know that there are, in, in America, it's not good news for many churches. People are closing their doors. The population, church attendance is, is not what it used to be. And I want you to know this. In the middle of a very polarized culture, especially in a younger generation, I want you to not first grab for your unbelief. We gotta conquer that giant. I'm here to call upon you to challenge you to believe. So many people say the church is doomed and people want to grumble and complain and go, oh no, man, we're, we're, we've got to go back and it, it, it's not working and everything. And I want you to know today, I don't want to be like the 10 spies 
who are just, all they do is, you know, they want to say, oh no, we can't do it. We can't do it. The problem wasn't that they lack faith in themselves, but they lack faith in God. That was the problem. I want you to trust God completely in your life. I want us as a church to be a church that trusts God. You know something? We are bucking all the trends. Since 2009, we have bucked all church trends. One of the church trends we are bucking is that we have a lot of old people here and we have a lot of young people here. That just doesn't happen. We are believing God. We are seeing lives change. We're going to baptize a couple people in the next service. We're excited about that. Let me just give you an example of that. I, I didn't say anything last week. I got to say something right now. We get, it's like, oh, a couple people got saved. Oh, yeah, yeah, I went to a church not too long ago, um, not too far from here. And uh, whenever somebody gives them a report, I, okay, so I go to this church and they're sitting there giving announcements and they say, hey, they had a middle school trip or something. I don't know what it was. And, and two people gave their lives to the Lord. And all, I'm just sitting there with my bulletin. And I'm like checking it out. I don't know really what's going on, you know, just here at the service as a visitor and everything. And everybody gets up and it's a standing ovation. And they're like going crazy, cheering and whooping and hollering. Everybody's standing up. And I'm like, oh, I gotta stand up. That's what they do every time somebody gets saved. And there was a part of me that's like, wow, that didn't happen very often. They're so excited. And so after the service, I was asking the folks that we went with, and they said to me, oh no, that's what we do. Because we're really excited about somebody getting saved. But you know what? Sort of a cloud of unbelief can overcome. And now that I'm in an older generation, I can say that, especially an older generation. Oh, the church isn't what it used to be. And just complain. But where's our belief? Where's our belief? And I'm not saying to believe and just go, boy, look at this. This is hopeful. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, this is hopeful. But it's also that our trust is in God. Like God's going to come through. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe God's going to come through in your life? Do you know that? Or is it like, well, I don't know. It's really rough. Have you watched the news? Have you seen how people are talking? Do you see how people are treating each other? I don't know. How much of the report do you get from the Bible? Do you realize have you read to the end? We win. Jesus is victorious. He's already won the victory on the cross. I don't know. I don't know. And it's really bad. I, it's, don't despise the Lord. Believe. Be different. Be peculiar. Yeah, everybody else is fighting and feuding. Everybody wants to fight about politics and everybody wants to be all polarizing about everything. Don't be like that. You believe, trust in God. Don't despise God, trust in him. Unbelief, believe. Do what believers do, believe. Then the second giant that they had that were bigger than the Anak was this, fear. 
The second Nephilim giant that we face is fear. For the Hebrew people, the fear of giants and the fortified cities outweighed the blessing of the fruit that they saw. In other words, those giants, those things that were coming against them were bigger than what they really, they outweighed the blessing of that, of of walking with God. And the element that in our Christian walk is that we measure the obstacles and the challenges that confront us against our strength and our resources and what we can do. So we measure what we see out in the world. And like you're raising young kids, you might be like, well, there's a lot more unbelieving people out there than there are believing people. So my kids, I don't know how this is all gonna turn out. Or you might say the resources, man, we can't compete with other people. And in this story, the Israelites saw themselves as what? They didn't see themselves as Anak. Hey man, look, nobody said, except for Caleb and Joshua, nobody said, yo, y'all remember like the 10 plagues? Like, do you remember living through that last night? And then we got out to the Red Sea and like we walked across on dry land. People aren't talking about that. Oh, we didn't have anything to eat. God sent manna. He gave us everything. You know what they said? We're like grasshoppers. And we're nothing. We ain't got no chance. I want to tell you something. When you go off to college, you may go to a public university. You can go to private school. I went to a church-related school. It was water in a buck. I'm telling you, it was wild there. It was, I say church-related because it wasn't a Christian college to me. And so many people, including my family, told me, you have to drink at school. You have to. And I, 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 I didn't even think anything of it. I, I didn't drink at school. It didn't hurt me none. I still had a lot of friends. I was actually, you know, I, I roomed around the basketball team and there were guys that would get drunk and come home at night and I would have to make sure that they were on their sides instead of their back because they were so drunk. I never drank. Don't let people tell you. What, what, what report are you going to listen to when you go to school? What report are you going to listen to? And I, I want to encourage you to be a person who does not see yourself as a grasshopper. God, you're not able. I'm not able. Listen, when I came here to be a pastor uh, almost 11 years ago, I'd never been a senior pastor. Now, I'd been on staff for a long time. I've worked with students and all that stuff. But I I think one of the things you'd be surprised about is how dumb I feel, how like inexperienced, like I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, uh, how I don't have the abilities that maybe it takes. And I still kind of feel that way to be quite honest with you a lot of times, but I I wanna tell you this. It's what report are you gonna, don't despise the Lord, trust God. And my story is a story of God coming through. And so I want to encourage you not to be locked up with fear. The third giant is comfort and complacency. That third Goliath giant we face is the giant of comfort and complacency. The Hebrew people, they heard that the challenges and the obstacle confronted them. And they saw all the people that dwelled in the land. And it was... (laughs) 
And then they start saying, man, it wasn't so bad, at, you know, back there. And, and, you know, Egypt's not such a bad place. You know, Egypt wasn't all that bad. We know that where they, when we're there, we, we know what we have. What, we could go back, right? They literally are processing that. They're saying, hey, let's process this. Maybe we should just go back. We'll go back to Egypt. Folks, when you're saying slavery's not so bad, that's a problem. How many of us, God has freed us from an addiction or an issue or a problem in our life? When you hear yourself say, you know, slavery, it's not so bad, that should be a wake-up call. That thing that used to enslave you, that's not so bad. That's a giant that's got to come down. Comfort and complacency's got to come down. I would be more obedient, but... I would come to church more and get more involved in the church, but... I would be more a giving person... But when God opens the door in my life, I would walk through it, but I know that God wants me to forgive that person, but I know that God is with me, but I hate to be the one to tell you, but I hate to tell you this, but there is no risk there is, where there is no risk, there is no opportunity for growth. And I'm not a person that likes to use potty humor in my sermons. I never liked it as a youth pastor either, but I gotta say something tonight, today. We gotta get off our butts. I do this, but Joshua and Caleb took a big risk with God and they said, do not go against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are no more than bread to us. God will come through just like he did the man. The exploration is over folks, the report is in. The report, which report will you listen to? Don't despise the Lord. God is, listen, the report is in, listen. God is not here to take sides. God's here to take over. You want to know what God's desire is for us as the people of God and as the church in America? God's not here to take sides. God's here to take over. I want you to key in on this one verse as I finish here. I know I'm short on time. This is my last However, my servant Caleb, because a different spirit is within him, he is wholeheartedly behind me. And I will bring him into the land where, there, where he uh, went. His offspring will inherit it. That's Numbers 14, 24. I want to be like Caleb. In honor of the biblical Caleb, I want to challenge older people to keep taking their mountains even into their old age and not hold on to the blessing. Thank God for you who are older. 
And I want to say something to you who are older. And I'm going to be bold here, okay? And I know that you've got to be umbrella of mercy over me right now, okay? Thank God you don't go to a dying church that has no kids. And you made that and make that possible. You make it possible. Now, we don't sing songs that you may not, maybe you were more comfortable, more familiar with you. Thank God that as you finish the last chapter of your life, you are blessing a younger generation. Thank God you're doing that. Have a smile on your face. When people say, you can clap for that. Yeah, sure. When people see you at the grocery store and they say, how was church yesterday? You don't have to say, well, it was horrible. I didn't know any of the songs and they have these lights now and I don't like that. And you don't, I mean, I can appreciate that you have an opinion, but I, I want you to know, you go, you know what? There's a bunch of kids getting saved and their lives. We have kids going into ministries. We're, we are training tomorrow's leaders to be leaders in the church. That's what I'm doing with the last chapter of my life. So here's the thing. I want our church to be a multi-generational church. I want the older to bless the younger, not to hold on to the blessing and go, I'm mad, but bless them and go, thank God they love the Lord. Let me tell you something, as I interact with them, they're way ahead of when I was 16 and 17 and 18 years old. Thank God. Here's the second thing. Caleb's descendants inherited the land. They did. They are the ones that inherited the land. I want to see our kids go farther than we go. I do. I don't want to be selfish and like hold back the blessing. I want to see them go farther and do more. And I want our church to grow beyond me and beyond us and to do more than we ever thought. Here's the third thing. Caleb is repeatedly described as a man who's wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. You get that there in verse 24? He says that Caleb, he is different. He has a different spirit. I want our primary passion to be Jesus. This is old school to some of you. It's like 25 years old. Back in the day when I was a youth pastor, we called those Jesus freaks. I want us to be a bunch of Jesus freaks. We can't preach enough about him. We can't talk enough about him. We can't praise him enough. I want our primary passion to be Jesus. And do people have a relationship with Jesus? Here's the last thing. I wanna raise up a company of kingdom warriors who would give their lives to a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus. I want our, G- our church to produce leaders for the kingdom. You know what's gonna take for that? It's gonna be us anchored and said, I believe God's word more than I believe my own emotions or feelings. Therefore, I can boldly declare that I am becoming more like Jesus every day by God's grace. And the word of God and the spirit of God are constantly working in me to produce that. I am made righteous through Jesus in God's sight and I have a secure future. I do not dwell on the past, but I am embracing the fullness of what God is doing in this day and my role in his plans. I am a man after God's heart and I will not depart from this life. 
until God has accomplished his purpose for me in this generation, until I have declared God's glory to the next generation. I live in the constant expectation and confidence that the kingdom of God is advancing across the globe and is reaching to the remotest areas of the world. I fear the Lord and great I have find great delight in his commands. Therefore, my children will be mighty in the land. My generations will be blessed in the end and I will look in triumph on all my foes. I live daily before the Lord in worship and prayer with the thanksgiving and will ultimately see all this come to its fullness. Believe. Have courage. Father, I thank you for every person here. Thank you, Lord, for how you have, even to this generation, are calling us out. Father, I pray that you would help us to not just be comfortable or complacent and to shrink back. Lord, help us to be like Caleb. And Father, I pray that you would help us through the power of your spirit and guide us by your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that you would show us your power. Help us to trust you more today, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.